This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 458 of the Stable Scoop Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Horselovers.com and Amigo Fly Protection. This week, we speak with another fascinating person. That's right, our very own Helena B. As we dig deep into her early years, and there are a few things that might surprise you. Plus, Horselovers.com product review of the week is the Noble Outfitters Men's Mud Boots. Listen in. You're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show, where hosts Glenn and Helena guide you through some of the horse world's most fascinating stories. Owning and loving horses means there's always a story to tell. It may be funny, exciting, or inspiring, but it will almost always be fascinating. Join us for The Scoop each week as we tap into the stories that are woven into everything we do, at the barn, at home, and everywhere in between. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, that's right, everybody. We're doing something a little bit different today, but not really. We said we were going to be presenting fascinating people or horses or stories this year, and we've got one for you. We're starting with, we're doing this with all the hosts. Dave Jackson, who does a school of podcasting, Helena, has a saying. And the saying is, people come to a podcast for the content and stay for the hosts. So we believe that if you're still listening to the show after nine years, or if you just joined us, the only reason you're staying is because you like us, and then we provide some content that's interesting. Well, we're going to get to know all the hosts, all 30 of them on the Horse Radio Network, a little bit better, and we're taking, we've done kind of done this in the past, but we're taking a little different angle on it this time, and that is we're talking about the early years. So this isn't necessarily horsey. This is a little bit about families and growing up and where you grew up and what you did and what you were good at, what you sucked at, stuff like that. Um, who your first boyfriend was. Helena didn't know about that one, but, you know, Uh that's on my list. (laughs) Um, So that's what we're doing. We thought it'd be interesting for all of you to get to know all of us a little bit better. So that's why Helena is on the hot seat today. And she has no idea what I'm going to ask. Do you, Helena? No, I have no idea. I'm I'm a little scared. My mouth just went dry. The questions have been kept in a hermetically sealed envelope until this very moment. Jennifer has just walked in and handed them to me. And if you believe that, you haven't listened to our show for very long because that would require <laughs> preparation. So and we all know that's not happening. <laughs> no, pre- zero preparation right. podcast network. That's, <laughs> that's what we right. should be called. That's right. But we will have our product review a little bit later, as usual, thanks to horselovers.com. Are you ready? Ready and willing. All right, here we go. So, Helena, where were you born? I was born in Suffern, New York. Where's Suffern, New York? It is 26 miles northwest of Manhattan. So if you go over the George Washington Bridge and you hit the Palisades Parkway you and, and you go north for about 20 minutes, you'll, you'll get to Suffern. Was it very city or was it suburbs? It was very suburban. Suffern was suburban, yes. Did you live in Most a of- standalone house or like a townhouse? I grew up in apartments and condos. Really? I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. My mom was the rental agent for a very large um, garden apartment complex in Suffern. And um, we pretty much lived in that complex for most of my childhood. Which is why she refused to live in an apartment now and wants standalone houses. (laughs) You betcha. And I'm looking for more and more land. (laughs) Space. So you grew up in a suburb with not a lot of space then, really. I mean, it was houses and houses and businesses. It was houses and and houses and businesses. My friends had, you know, I think at at the time, because it was a, um, you know, suburb of Manhattan, nobody really had huge tracts of land. So most of my friends lived on an acre or a half an acre or something like that. But an acre seemed like a park to me. I bet. And uh, so, and your grandparents, I know you're Italian. When did the uh, the Italy clan arrive? Um, geez, in the 1900s, right around the turn of the century, um, both sets of families came over um, from Italy through Ellis Island and settled in New York. One settled in like the Bronx area and the other settled in Brooklyn. And I am, out of both sides of my family, there's a lot of kids and a lot of cousins. I am the only the only grandchild who is Italian on both sides. I'm all Italian. 
Huh. And I assume they were good Catholics. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Most of them good, were good, crazy Italian yeah. Catholics. Yes, yeah. we went to church. I had my communion. I was confirmed. And somewhere in high school, I decided that I, I didn't really want to go to church anymore. I'd rather party. <laughs> Funny how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> That happens to all Catholics at some point. You know yeah. how they have Rumspringa for the Amish, where the you know kids yep. get out and be wild. Well, that's that version of. I, we need a name for it for Catholic kids because I went through yeah. the same thing. So now, your what did your like your grandparents do for a living? Was there were they all bakers? Were they into what were they doing? Well, everybody was in the military at one point, but my grandfather. On my dad's side, Anthony, he, everybody called him Tony. They lived in Brooklyn and he actually worked for Ford, Ford Motor Company. And he was a quality inspector and Ford had opened up a plant, uh, in Mawa, New Jersey, which is just over the border from Suffern. So, you know, literally like some people's driveways were actually split by the state line. So Ford opened this big plant in Mawa and my grandfather worked there and he would have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and and go to work. And my grandmother was a stay-at-home mom. She had three children, but she was also a very talented seamstress. And when she and my grandfather lived in the city, she had her own clothing label. She would design her clothes, make them, and sell them. Oh, maybe and that's then, where your affinity for style and clothing comes from. No doubt. My grandmother had the best taste. She was, oh my gosh, a stunner. Her clothing was I I can't even find words to describe how impeccably tailored they were. Gorgeous stuff. And uh, so when she had kids and then became a grandmother, she just took on work as a seamstress. She would have customers and they would come and she would do alterations. And then, of course, she would make all of her children's and grandchildren's special clothing. So she made my prom dress. She made my aunt's wedding dresses. It was a big deal in our family. I assume that... Uh, the big dinners on Sunday were very Italian. Yes, they were. It was every Sunday. A lot and... of talking with hands and a ton of food. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was actually pretty simple. My grandmother would make a lot of macaroni. We didn't call it pasta. We called it macaroni. And we didn't call the sauce sauce. It was called gravy. Now, that it goes back and forth. It depends on what, you know, what family you came from and what part of New York you were from. And But there was always meatballs, sausages, a ton of macaroni, Parmesan cheese, and there used to be big liters of Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, the two-liter days when we were kids, so that's right. <laughs> yep, the two-liter days, exactly. Because <laughs> it was and cheaper. <laughs> that's right. We would all come trickling in. You know, everybody would go to church, and then we'd all get to my grandmother's house when we got out of mass, and so around lunchtime. And then we'd kick around, catch up on whatever was happening with us during the week. And then probably around two, three o'clock, we would sit down to dinner. So it was an early supper. And what about your your parents? What did they do? My parents, well, my my parents, my mom was eighteen when she married my dad, and he was twenty five. So they were young, and at least by today's standards. And um, they were married for seven years. They divorced when I was seven years old because I was born right around the time they got married. And, uh, they were, you know, it's funny. I, I can't even begin to imagine them being married, knowing each of their personalities. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that they didn't last more than seven years, but my dad has passed away and I am a lot like my dad, a lot like my dad. He was funny. He had a really good sense of humor and he could talk to anybody about anything. And he was interested in everything. So I think I get my curiosity from my dad for sure. And he worked for Ford. He um, worked with my grandfather. Well, it was a family business, huh? Yep. Yeah. He worked for Ford. And then he went into his own business in, uh, for, well, first he was a snowplow dealer. Oh, there's <laughs> something I've right? never heard before. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, we, we would ski and everything. So I always remember going to his office. So he worked for himself and there were snowplows all out. And he would have this bumper sticker on the back of his car that said, think snow. You know, and so I thought it was about skiing because we'd always go skiing together, but it was really about selling snowplows. But I thought it was the coolest thing. It was a big snowflake. Think snow. I was like, Dad, we're so cool. We would think snow bumper sticker on the back of your car. So did you, where did you live with mom or dad then at that point? 
Well, here's the thing about Italian families is even when they get divorced, nobody goes very far. <laughs> so we we all lived within like like 200 feet of each other. A block. <laughs> That's where the garden apartment complex came oh, in. Oh, okay. So you just went up, up up a few floors and you were at the other one? <laughs> well, we weren't that close, but I could ride my bike to, and you know, my mom's, I lived with my mom primarily, but I could ride my bike to my dad's. My grandmother was just five doors down from him. And then my aunts were around the corner. So I, I really bounced around from, from front door to front door. Now, you were always, and we talked about this a little bit on the show, but you were always, like, athlete. Were you a tomboy athlete, or were you just a girl, girly athlete? I was a little, I, I was in, I would say I was in between. I wasn't exactly a tomboy, but I definitely was not a girly girl. I was more like a rough and tumble, think like gymnast, mm -hmm. which that's pretty much how I started my athletic life was in gymnastics. Oh, you did? Okay. Yep. Yep. So, I was a gymnast, and then I um, discovered diving. You actually have the diving. physique of a gymnast, so that fits. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's that's in my genetics. Um, my cousins are built like this, too. Yeah. We had this pool at the garden complex, at the uh, apartment complex. It was huge pools. We had actually three pools. An Olympic-sized pool that had two diving boards, a slightly smaller pool with this huge slide and then a third, even smaller pool. So we would spend the days going to quote unquote the pool. You know, I'd be like, bye mom. She'd go to work and I'd go to the pool and I would literally be there for eight or nine hours <laughs> <laughs> swimming and jumping off the diving board. Well, a friend of ours at this time who was occasionally my babysitter when I was younger, she was on the high school swim team. And I was, it was the summer of sixth grade. So I had not started seventh grade yet. And I was bouncing off the diving board, doing some flips and whatnot. And she said, you know, I think you should talk to my coach because you're pretty good at this flipping around off the diving board stuff. You, you might want to you know, talk about some opportunities on the diving team when you get to high school. Long story short, I ended up diving for the high school diving team that summer. Um, I went to practice with them. And so I had did to make you follow some that through all the way through high school? I almost did. Um, at what, my coach retired, and the new coach came in, and it was a culture shock for me. Uh, midway through my career, a little more than midway through my career, it was a. I was very, very attached to my coach. He was this big, honestly, this Bella Caroli type of guy, big bear of a guy. He had a beard and a mustache, and he wore these thick glasses. And he was just phenomenal, and he knew how to get the best out of me, and. He left the school, and I really – I don't know what happened, um, why he left. I don't know if it was money or if it was – he was young enough. It wasn't time for him to retire, but I was just devastated, and I quit. I quit. I, I didn't – I tried working with the new coaches, and it was like eating cardboard. I, I couldn't take it. Isn't it funny how much the, the people affect that? Even though it's something you love to do, the people can ruin it for you, and then you decide, bah, I'm going to do, do something else, you know? Uh. I absolutely loved, and being the youngest kid on this team, you know, I was barely in middle school and, you know, competing against and with these high school girls. They were so good to me, my teammates. They were older. They looked out for me. They would tease me. They would mentor me. They inspired me. I mean... They were just really the most amazing group of girls I had the privilege of knowing. And that's also the age, to follow that up, that, that, really do, that the people there, the coach, really does affect you. Yes. Yeah, I mean, probably if you were a junior, you would have stuck it out, you know? But it's at that age, it's just that middle school age. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget, I'm an only child. So you do your, the relationship that, ships that you develop with your coaches is very strong and tends to be much stronger than children who have siblings. So what'd you do after diving? I started another sport. <laughs> and what was that? <laughs> well, I played around a little bit. After diving, I actually joined the football cheerleading squad, the basketball cheerleading squad. Okay. Um, now, wait a minute. You were a cheerleader? Yeah. I do not picture you as a cheerleader. First. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just don't picture fun. it. Yeah, we could build pyramids and stuff. I get to flip around some anything where I'm stomping and Did jumping that have and yelling. Anything to do with attracting hot guys? No, no, I I was not 
I wasn't one of those girls in high school, sadly. <laughs> you, you, no. you, you regret that now. <laughs> yeah. I always had crushes on boys who didn't even know I existed. <laughs> and I assume I if anybody boys. doesn't know what Helena looks like, she has this big mop of Italian hair. <laughs> and uh, I assume you had the big mop of Italian hair back then. I played with, oh, I had all kinds of things going on with my hair. When I was in eighth grade, I got a perm. Oh, okay? no. You got a perm with that head of hair? I you must have been about hair. two feet high. <laughs> and I got a perm. I don't, well, everybody was doing it, so I had to do it, too. <laughs> was that so. one of those you regretted after you looked in the mirror and went, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mother did. <laughs> What the hell happened to my hair? <laughs> so to save myself from that, I ended up getting a really short pixie cut. And, That's uh, about that all you can do I... to get rid of that perm. <laughs> so I, I toyed with the pixie cut on and off, you know, super short and then let it grow and then super short and then let it grow. So my hair was all different kinds of lengths in high school. Now, Italian communities tended to stick together like other ethnic communities. Were you in an all-Italian community where there are a lot of vetoes? No. No? No. Nope. In fact, I didn't, I, I, I hung around with the wasps because <laughs> it was, it was different. <laughs> you know, I, I like those, those straight haired, blonde, Irish, English people. They were <laughs> fascinating to me. <laughs> and they always seemed so calm and in control. <laughs> After growing you know? up in an Italian family, I imagine that's the way it looked. Oh my God. Yeah. This did, we did not talk to each other. We yelled at each other. That's just how we spoke. And these, and everybody who wasn't Italian just seemed so calm and cool and collected and I tended to hang out with them. Now you were far enough from the city that I assume that there were you were not connected as a family. Um year. oh what do you mean connected? Like, I mean mob connected. Um no actually my mom's side of the family had some pretty strong connections. Yeah. You, they all and, did it one in one distant way or another. Yeah. yeah um my grandfather on my mom's dad was pretty heavily involved for a time and um it would trickle out you know when i was in college and or i'd come home even after college you know i could come home and go out to one of the clubs in our community or in our county sometimes i'd be, <laughs> I'd, I'd even be in the city and i'd be sitting at a bar and a drink would come my way and there'd be you know somebody from the extended group who was keeping an eye on me and you're like, holy crap, don't these people sleep? <laughs> so it family, always up. family. <laughs> yeah. I think most of that generation has died off though. Yeah. That's changed a lot over the years. But yeah, back then, I mean, that was a thing. It was the thing, you know, they were, it, they were the was. family. Yeah. Unfortunately we had some, some pretty tragic endings to some extended family members. It wasn't, it wasn't glamorous and it wasn't funny a lot of the time. Yeah. Right. It, it, it certainly was not. Yeah. Interesting though. So you, um, you then, uh, took up, you were starting to say which sports you dived into after diving. Right. So I, I was a cheerleader, which I took very seriously. Yeah. I loved being a cheerleader because my favorite thing to do was get dressed up in our uniforms on the Friday before a big Saturday football game. And we'd all go to school, you know, and we'd be wearing our uniforms and the football players would be wearing their jerseys. And it was like having a mini pep rally every Friday during football season. It was a lot of fun. I got into the school spirit in a big way. Our school is, Suffern High School was and still is a very tightly knit school with the community for it's a large high school where we have a lot of extracurricular activities It performs well academically, but it, um, it's one of the top schools in the country for athletes actually. So what were you interested in? Let's go. Well, then you ended up with lacrosse, uh, lacrosse, right? Yep. I started that as a freshman. We didn't have youth programs at the time or middle school lacrosse. So I started out as a freshman and that very quickly became the love of my life. Yeah. That was your sport. <clears throat> yep. And it lacrosse is what got me to college. I got recruited from the University of Massachusetts at a game in Scarsdale one day. Their head coach had come down to see me play. And uh, I just happened to get lucky and made the catch of a century. <laughs> I made the catch and the play of the century the day she was there. And when I tell you it was dumb luck, it was dumb luck. And uh, it was probably that 15 seconds of play that got me into college. Was that a full boat? Scholarship? No. It, no? 
It was not. Nope. I was going to say, they were given full boats to lacrosse players? <laughs> nope, nope. I got a little cake to play, but it didn't. It certainly didn't pay all the bills, but it, it got me there. Well, that's good. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that either. And we've known each other for years, and I, and I know Wendy for years, and I'm learning new things about uh, about you guys all the time. So now let's uh, let's go let's go backwards a little bit when we get back from hearing about Amigo Fly Protection. In just a minute, I want to find out where horses came into the picture, and also we have to talk about the first boyfriend. We'll be right back. Oh gosh. <laughs> Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology, and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug Fly Sheet. Find Amigo fly sheets at your local or online retailer or you can visit horseware.com. That's horseware, H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E.com. All right, so let's find out who was the first love of Helena's life. Your first oh, boyfriend. Oh, God. My first, boy- I, my first boyfriend, um, I really didn't have a boyfriend boyfriend until... All right. My first boyfriend was very, very short lived. And I thought his... you were just saying he was very, very short. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't even know if this qualifies as a boyfriend. Like, I, I don't think it even lasted two weeks. Oh, that doesn't qualify. That doesn't qualify. Let's okay. go with the first one that lasted a little while. Well, the first one that lasted a little while, like, does a, su- a summer? Yeah, count? that counts. Okay. So, on summer. So, my first boyfriend was, um, his name was Andy for boys, and he was a really good baseball player. He was two years older than me. And we actually met after he, he went away to college and there was a party this summer of my senior year, somebody's house party. And we kind of struck up a conversation and hit it off from there. And then we started seeing each other that summer. And then I went off to school for my freshman year and he went back, he went to SUNY Oswego where he did get a scholarship for baseball. And, uh, yeah, and we kept this sort of long distance college to college relationship going, and then um, and then I met my first husband, there you and go. that was the end of my first boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so when did uh, when did uh, horses come into the picture? So I went to day camp as a kid, uh, starting off pretty young, probably eight years old, nine years old. And there was a camp called uh, it was called Camp Scuffy because the owner's last name was Scafiero. A couple Italians opened up a day camp in Rockwood County. And uh, you could do things. You could go sailing and they had the, a little pond. You could go boating and fishing and all the things that kids get to do at day camp. But they also had horses there. So somehow I finagled my, my way out of sailing and fishing and, you know, growing vegetables and into what they called the corral. So I would go to the corral every day and groom the horses. And then if I was lucky, I would get to to ride. And, and did I, did did you manage to get a horse or after that or was it just camp during high school? Did you have anything else during high school horse wise? Nope, I did nothing horse wise in high school. So um once I stopped going to day camp, so I had this favorite pony at camp and his name was Apache. And you can guess he was a little pinto. <laughs> he was fun though. He was really fun. He's actually a big pony. He's probably fourteen one, maybe. Um and I just loved him. I wanted him so badly, so badly. And we were trying to figure out a way to purchase him. And that just never fell through, probably because my parents divorced and, you know, all kinds of things go wrong in life when, you're, when your family splits up. So then I just focused exclusively on the individual sports that I could. And I kept trying to convince my mom that there was a way that we could get a horse. Like we lived in an apartment building and I could convert the basement of the building into a barn <laughs> to a stall. My mom's like, you're not going to bring a pony in and that out of the like basement. sounds like a teenage girl right there. <laughs> yeah. Up and down the steps. These are like 27 cement steps. You're not going to do. I was like, mom, nobody will even know he's there. I'm always curious when you were growing up, because we had ours, and especially you grew up in, in more of a town atmosphere than the city, like like I did. What were the games that you played? 
the the impromptu games that you played with your friends in the block. Kick the can for sure. We did too. I'm glad to hear. I've never heard anybody else say that. We played hours of kick the can. Kick the can. Yep. There was another one. Um, did you ever play flashlight tag? We played flashlight tag. There was another. By the one way, this was when kids still played outside. Oh, we were out even until at night well past dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You, we could, you know, and in the the apartment complex where I lived, remember it's a garden apartments, so every building is only two stories tall, right? Each building only has four apartments in it, so they were big. They were they were actually luxury apartments. So, um, but in my particular part, and there were five hundred buildings, so this thing was spread out. Wow, really far. It was beautiful. So in my area of the, the complex, there were probably 30 kids yeah, under the age of 15. <laughs> oh, we had a great time. And so you could be anywhere literally within like a half a mile radius of your house and you could scream, Ma, throw me some money. The ice cream man's coming. You know, and then somebody's mother would throw money out at you. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Now let's go to college. Let's all head to college. So you had not lived in Massachusetts, nor probably didn't know much about Massachusetts at that point. Um, so you head off to UMass, which is where? Amherst, Amherst Massachusetts. Which Western is Mass- in the western part. So yep. you're not near Boston at that point. Um, you're pretty much like it looks in western or in eastern New York. It's very wooded and country. Yes, um, very rural. Yeah. So what what was life like at UMass? Did you spend the first freshman year partying and not doing any work? And what yes. were you going to school for? Um, I went for political science. That was my selected major. And um, I got a taste of macroeconomics and probably dry heaved every morning before that class. <laughs> I hated it so much. Um, so I, I moved to an undeclared because I didn't know what I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Pshaw. You know, and I was going to fight for like animal welfare and the environment and, you know, all these do good things that I thought the legal system could support. And then I realized that was just not the way I wanted to go. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was playing lacrosse. So really my days, my time at UMass was very structured. We had practiced from six in the morning, 6 a.m. to eight or nine. And then again, from five, four to seven sometimes, or four to six, we would have two sets of practices. Um, so I really didn't have a chance to do much else. And then if I did to tr- try to squeeze something else in, it meant my my studies suffered, and my studies did suffer. And uh, the alcohol had nothing to do with that? You know, I wasn't a big drinker. Um, it, it wasn't. It was more the socializing and going to the parties and yeah. meeting new people and experiencing all of this freedom. I mean, UMass is a huge school. It's huge. And once I transferred to another smaller school, I realized that academically, a school that size just was not good for the the type of learner or the type of student that I was. Um, and uh, three years into my lacrosse career, I pulled a hamstring on my leg. And I was out for a couple of weeks when the hamstring healed and I was given the okay to go back to practicing and playing. Um, I did so, but I had jumped up to receive a pass in the gym of all things. And I landed on the opposite leg because I was trying to protect the previously injured hamstring. And I ended up pulling my quadricep, my right quadricep muscle so badly that I was on crutches for almost two months and my lacrosse career at UMass was over. And now you teach your daughter lacrosse. That's so cool. Yeah. Aren't you the coach? I am. I'm one of the coaches. There are two. Um, Isn't it amazing what a circle life is? Yeah. 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 I can't. We end up back to things that we never dreamed we'd be back to. (laughs) I it, I knew that that you know horses and lacrosse would be like the I I can't I really I didn't think that I needed lacrosse after that um, I was pretty devastated so when I transferred to I transferred to a wonderful wonderful little school in New Jersey called Ramapo College it was the best best experience for me and while I was at Ramapo I took on a job coaching a high school girls lacrosse team in Pearl River, New York. And because I was like, I, I woke up one day and it's like, I cannot 
get up every day and look at my lacrosse stick in the corner and, and just see it there and think that's the end of it. I'm never going to do this again. And, uh, I started a program there where this was a high school that did not have lacrosse at all. And I got that going for three years. I was their head coach and that was an incredible learning experience for me. It, it changed me for the better. Hmm. That's very cool. I'm learning yeah. all kinds of cool stuff today. Yeah. So when did I'm, I'm just looking at the time here, and I want to get to this part, or I'll get a, I'll get email. Okay. When when did horses come back into the picture and weave back into your life? Okay. So um around the, so in the winter when I wasn't coaching lacrosse, but I was still finishing up college, I was a ski instructor <laughs> at Sterling Forest. Yeah, you York. guys ski a lot. Your your family skied. Your, yeah, yeah, my dad, my dad did just me and my dad skied. So I was a ski instructor and I met a Naples. friend. Isn't there a lot of skiing out in that part of <laughs> Italy? The Italian Alps, <laughs> yeah. I yep. don't know. Um, so anyway, we were up at uh, Hunter Mountain one day and a couple of ski instructors said, hey, let's go on a trail ride. They have these winter hacks. I was like, Pshaw, I haven't been on a horse in a couple of years. I'd love to go. And that kind of rejuvenated me. And I got on this old gray nag who was not interested in listening to anything I had to say. And we came across a stream and I couldn't get the horse to go through the water and everybody was leaving and the horse would not go through the water. And I'm like, Oh crap, I'm going to be stuck on the side of this mountain in the winter with a horse who can barely <laughs> stand up and who refuses to cross water. Oh man. And, uh, we did eventually get the horse to cross the water and, uh, I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to get back in the saddle and figure this out. I want to know why he wouldn't go through the water, or she, it was a mare, why she wouldn't go through the water and what I could have done differently. And that became the time when I started to really take lessons um, seriously. Yeah. Right around, I had just, I graduated from college. I was working for my mom's company in IT. They did technical training. And in every spare minute that I had and every spare penny I had, I spent on riding lessons. And what, what type of riding were you doing at that point? I was doing hunt seat. Hunt seat. Yep. Yeah. I went to the nearest stable. I didn't care what it was. Um, didn't probably and, know much about it anyway, so it didn't matter what you were doing, right? No, yeah. because before that, and when I was in camp, I did Western, you know, Western pleasure kind of stuff, loping around. And, um... And then the, the, all the other times I'd been on horses was just trail rides and hacking around with friends. So, uh, yeah, that started my, and of course, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And you ended up riding then, did you stay in hunters for, let's see, for a while? I did. Yep. I showed for a little bit, just, you know, little schooling shows, nothing really serious. And then, um, then I moved to Massachusetts and again, I took, again, lessons casually, and then I ended up taking some lessons at a hunt barn up uh, on the North Shore, Massachusetts. That was just a few short years before I met you and Jennifer. And then ended up at Myopia. With, uh, and I started working. Jennifer. Well, I was, a, I was a working student for a very talented trainer up there. This was probably five years before I met you guys. And I ended up becoming her barn manager on the weekends. So I went from, you know, like working for one lesson a week to managing a 26 stall facility, you know, being the, the weekend barn manager. And that was a really, really cool learning experience. I learned a ton from her. And, uh, now when you, were you working at myopia when Jennifer came in or did Jennifer hire you? I was working at myopia when she came in. And were you like, Oh God, another new boss. Yep. <laughs> I figured <laughs> So what yep. was your, I'll be honest, she's not listening. What was your first impression when she came in? I loved her um, personality. She was so cheerful. She was so cheerful. That's her. Just <laughs> sweet and warm. And I was like, we're going to be great friends. I just knew it. Which, I just by knew the it. way, guys, was the exact opposite of what the rest of the personalities were. At, oh. <laughs> at that particular yeah. location at that talk time. About, <laughs> talk about a sheet show. <laughs> Oh, wait, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's interesting, too, and this is a compliment to you. Jennifer had a strict rule in all the businesses she had managed or been a part of, of not becoming friends with people at work, especially if they worked for her or under her. 
she would not become friends with him. That's just one of the rules she had. And I think she might have tried for like a second. <laughs> yeah, well, and you were you were definitely the exception to that. So that's a that's a huge compliment right there. It says a lot. And I and I was kind of surprised. I was like, well, what's with this girl? <laughs> Why all of a sudden is she that you know? Is well, she you so liked special? me too. I did you too, though. Like, wow, we were all chatty. Yeah, well, you and I, you know, we're, we kind of have the same outgoing personality, so it was like, oh, and I, you know, to be honest, I didn't like Massachusetts much, so any friend was good at that point, True. and you were the nicest person I'd met. And so. I had Grace. Grace was just she was only what like six months old, she was a year cute. old. Yeah, she was just a baby. Well, no, when you guys when you guys started, she was probably two at that point. And, and I had something in common to talk to your ex about too. I mean, we could talk about food. Right. So yes. that's what we had in common there. Uh, but, yes. you know, I didn't have many, very many friends. Thank God you were there, to be honest, because yeah, I think I spent more time with you and Jennifer than I did with my ex. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly and you I still should. are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's why he's my ex. <laughs> and I think, you know, actually, that kind of brings us up to where we started this podcast. Right. And we had left myopia. We've talked about those years on the early shows. And you can always go back and listen to the early shows of Stable Scoop. But I have a couple questions I want to ask you before we wrap here and get to our product review. Okay. Who was, when you were growing up, who was the most influential person in your life? The person that you honestly credit for being who you are today? Ooh, I would say that I am definitely a product of both of my parents in equal measure. Um, even though I don't get along with my mom and, and we don't speak now, she she did give me a lot. She gave me a lot of really good life lessons. The difficult times in my life growing up, as painful um, and some traumatic as they were, they created a response in me that's made me a very strong person today. But my mom also taught me about compassion. She taught me about independence. She taught me about trusting my instincts with people and um, and seeing the value in myself as an individual. My dad, uh, the, the things I get from him are how to pretty much make friends with anybody, that everybody has something interesting to talk about and everybody wants to talk about that. and how to just be yourself. My dad was a very confident, relaxed kind of person. And uh, he never, ever kissed anybody's ass, ever. <laughs> and it wasn't because he intentionally tried not to. Boy, he I know where you get that from. <laughs> he just didn't need to. Um, and he was mad, mad, mad smart. Oh, my God. So smart. Not like book smart, but if you gave him um, a millimeter of information, he could make a mile out of it. You know, he was able to to put things, put the puzzle together. I think I would have liked your dad. Yeah, you would have loved my dad. And you know what's funny is I say this all the time. I wish my dad could have met Buck because they are like two peas in a pod. Yeah, like, from what you're describing, you've described your husband. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you just did. You married your dad. Married your dad. <laughs> <laughs> so so, um, so yeah. I do have another question. If you... Two more quick ones. If you, is there one thing from growing up that you regret that you, you would do over? Oh, boy. I don't have to be um, real serious. It could be something silly, but yeah. I, that I would do over? Yeah. Um, no. I, well, I can't answer, really, actually. There's, there's nothing, there's a lot of things that I wish didn't happen, but because they did have created some positive outcomes. So I think I've learned all the lessons the universe wanted me to learn so far. Isn't that funny how we, how, uh, things happen that are supposed to happen, right? Yeah. You just don't know yeah. why at the time. <clears throat> have you had your lifetime horse yet? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, that means you probably know. haven't actually, because I think when you have your lifetime horse, you know. I really don't know. I loved Zeke. I love Brody. Um, I love them. I love them. I think, I don't know, uh, I, Glenn. See, I, really... I think the answer to the question is you haven't. Because I think once you do, you know. Yeah. And that's not know. a bad thing. I mean, once you I still have Brody time to have your lifetime horse, right? <laughs> yeah. That could be a positive thing. I won't be able to answer that question until the next lifetime. All right. Well, I'll ask you then, okay? <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> hey, a deal. You know, this was very insightful because I didn't know most of the stuff. 
And I've known you for a long time, but I also now see where why you're good at this job, for instance, um, where that comes from, and why why you're you're good at all the things, and also why you have that fiery personality. You know, I know where all that comes from now. So, yeah. which we love, by the way. Uh, well, that's good because it's gotten me into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to handle it. I think I've never been arrested. Well, I, see, that was one of what I was going to ask, but I was afraid to with your Italian family. I didn't want to ask. No, and I've never committed an arrestable crime. I mean, <laughs> okay, that's there you more go. Important. You never got caught. Let's go. With yeah. That. <laughs> I now, think that's true for most of us, actually. Deep, deep <clears throat> down, I'm actually a really good doobie. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Thank you, Helena. You're welcome. Gosh, it's hard to be in the hot seat. It is, especially when you're talking about personal intimate stuff from long ago, because that stuff really dredges up stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's funny what you remember when you, somebody starts prodding you on that, too. Uh, you remember different things that you haven't thought about for years. Yeah, and you're going way back. And then sometimes it, it comes wrapped up in a story that's much larger than what your answer needs to be. And you're like, all right, how do I abbreviate this? But I think the listeners have been time. with us for nine years, especially. The ones that have been with us for the longest time, five, six, seven, eight years, will will, will hear those things and see and go, oh, that's why she, the way she they know you. So, yeah. so they kind of make, it all puts the puzzle pieces together. Yep. which I think is kind of neat. We're going to continue to do that with the different hosts. Dr. Wendy's, by the way, is coming out next week over on the Driving Radio Show, so check that out there as well. <clears throat> well, we are, um, we are going to go right now to our Tech and Habit product review of the week, brought to you by Horselovers.com. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today to do the product review. Scott is one of our terrific auditors, and I think uh, your better half is too, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, and I think uh, we've heard her on this show before. No doubt. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so now let's talk about the product you got. You got the Noble Outfitters men's mud boots, but these are the short paddock boot size, right? Yes, they are. Like someone else snap up the tall ones. Cool. And our, uh, what kind of riding do you do? I do uh, most um, English riding, and of late, it's been um, getting into eventing, but with the guy I'm on now, it's mostly uh, jumping and dressage. Okay, cool. And so these are mud boots. They're meant to be waterproof. Uh, they're 100% waterproof. These particular ones are like six inches high, paddock boot size. Now, the one thing they claim is that they're breathable and moisture wicking. So what what has been your experience with these? Have you worn them in the mud and the rain and the puddles? Tell us about them. They definitely do well in in the mud and the puddles. They're in their, the bottom now, most of the boots is like a pretty solid rubber. They've got sort of breathable panels up the like both sides of the ankle. So they're they're very comfortable. They're definitely waterproof. I have gone wading through puddles. Uh, my only uh, warning on splashing through puddles is, well, they're only six inches high. So if you splash too much, they'll come in the top of your boots anyhow. Mm-hmm. And uh, breathability, they've got kind of, um, I guess, sort of a, a breathability liner uh, throughout the whole boot. Um I think they'd probably, I'd say they'd probably be good for about three seasons out of the year. I think if it got much, like I've been wearing them almost nonstop since I got them um, when I'm not actually riding. And what state are you and in? And I'm in Virginia, Virginia, Central Virginia. Okay. Yeah. So th- th- this week it's in the 80s and 90s. So we'll see how they do when the temperatures push up in mid 90s. Good. But they're, they've been breathable enough that I think they're, they're pretty good. I'd say three season boots. I'm not sure how well they do for me in midsummer. So here in Florida okay. in August, probably not the best bet. Probably not. I'd got to give them a try, but uh, might, might want to throw on some, you know, moisture working socks under them too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I missed this because you, you cut out for a second. What height did you get? Did you get the, the six inch or the tall? She- Six I've got inch. the shorter, the six yeah. inch. Yeah. So you got the six inch. boot size. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, so that's not too bad. You could actually, you're going to get less heated up in those than you would in the super tall ones. Yeah, I believe so. Now you've had them for how long? Um, I'd have to look back. I actually saw the cut in from your message previously when I got them. I've probably had them for a good month or two. Okay. So probably about two months. And you said you've been wearing them. So obviously you like them. 
Yeah, they were they were comfortable from the moment I took them out of the box. I never had to do any break in. They were comfortable, like slipped right on, like easily slipped on. They easily slip off, but they've got enough stretch in them that they still stay in place. That's a and, big deal. Mm-hmm. And they're they're comfortable. I mean, both to to wear to stand around in. They've sort of become my my go to footwear. Like if I don't need if I don't need to you know, wear something like dressy or get on a horse, they're the shoes I wear most of the time. Well, that's and <laughs> so far it does. And they've held up. They've got a good deep tread, but it's still easy to you know pose it out because they're waterproof. Um, have you ridden in been, them? Do you, have you ever ridden in them? I have not ridden in them. They do have enough of a heel that you could, but size wise, I was kind of limited in what sizes I could pick from. You know, eight or ten, and I wear I. In most boots, I wear around a nine, nine and a half. So they're a little loose on me, but I don't blame that on the boot. I think they're just sized a little bigger than I would normally wear. Hmm. Um, I think if they were a closer fit, I probably could ride in them. But as as it stands, they're just loose enough. And mind you, they still stay on, but they're just loose enough that I wouldn't want to. Um, I haven't tried them on a horse. Got it. And they do come in even sizes for people that are looking at. Uh... Well, that's not true. They come in some some even sizes, and they have some half sizes too in the in the middle there. So, yeah, I mean, you have to check. Uh, head over to horselovers dot com. We'll put a link in our show notes to find them there. They're eighty bucks right now as we record this at horselovers dot com. So they're very affordable as boots like this go. I've seen them. Uh, I've seen boots like this go for a lot more than that. So. Uh, I'm glad you're happy with them. It's the Noble Outfitters men's mud muds boots. They have they come in different sizes. They have a mid calf and a tall as well. So you can go see all the different options at horselovers.com. Thank you, Scott. You're very welcome. Well, how's the old boat show going up there? You're doing a boat podcast and a Newport podcast and keeping your life busy with podcasts lately. You're starting to sound like B. I know, I know all these podcasts, a lot of editing. I'll tell you, it's good. That Newport show is cranking. Um, apparently somebody got wind of the show and some buddies. And so the downloads are starting to go up. We oh, even really have good. a loyal, we have a loyal fan in Japan. Wow. A subscriber in Japan. I, guess, I, know. I hope he speaks English or he's just listening for nothing. It's probably some expatriate, you know, how that goes. Um, So it's really good. We're going to be actually this coming Thursday, we're going to be releasing um, an episode about the Charter Yacht Show, which is one of my favorite events to cover here in Newport. It's when all the luxury yachts come into Newport Harbor and they do it's a to the trade show. You know, it's for yacht brokers. But Buck and I get to go on board these ridiculously luxurious yachts and take a look around fantasize <laughs> oh my god last year we dunk we stuck our feet in the jacuzzi we had cocktails and hors d'oeuvres made by the onboard chefs this is this is this is for people who can afford you know hundred thousand dollars a week on a yacht yeah, not us. In the <laughs> not us. Be, I don't know. You guys are, you, you know, I've been thinking I really should come on this Horse Lovers cruise and I could make an entire episode of Around the Buoy just on this cruise. You could actually. It is a, it is a boat. No. I know. Oh. I'd love to go. We, I don't know what we're doing with our house. So once we know what the heck is happening with our home, um, if there's a way we could squeeze in a cruise with Horse Lovers, we'll do that with you guys, meaning. Um, but. It would be a great episode for yeah, around the buoy. We have thirty cabins booked already. Sixty people have signed up. So I'm dying. I really want to go. Really, really, really want to go. But we'll have to. I want Buck I, to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's so somebody much to hang fun. out with. <laughs> he is so much fun. So I we're want busy. Gracie to go. Gracie's such a cool kid. Gracie's going. Well, that's the thing is, all three of us are going to come if we go. It'll yeah, be all three I, of us. I love hanging out with Gracie. Yeah, we always seem to do stuff together when we hang out, Grace and I. I know she loves you I guys. I just take her loves away. Yes. I just take her away, get her away from mom, and we go out to lunch and stuff. Yep. Yeah. She likes the extra attention. <laughs> she's so cool. I don't say that about very many teenagers, but she's really cool. She, well, that's I'll tell you, I got lucky with that kid. You did. You did. Let's hope it stays that way. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, so now you, uh, the new boat show, uh, I didn't get the chance to listen. You've had two or three episodes now. Um, two episodes. Two, the yeah. third one will be out next Tuesday. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to listen to the second one yet, but it's on my list. The second one is cool. It's about the tall ship Oliver Hazard Perry. And they have these like um, 
these sea programs. So you go out on the ship, you can go all the way up to Alaska. They went down to Cuba, they go to Bermuda and it's like personal development. You know how they do like these team building things with like corporations send their managers Boy, or their building. sales teams. <laughs> yeah. You can go out ship. on the ship. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. Really, really cool I got to listen to that one. That does sound cool. Yeah. And is that have its own feed now? Yes, it does. Okay, so what, where can people find it? You can find Around the Buoy on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio, or you can go to aroundthebuoy.com. Spell buoy for me. <laughs> B-U-O-Y. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and my co-host is an ex-Navy guy and cool. a I boat like right. He knows his way around boats. So he's got he's all the technical know-how. I'm just the I'm just the fun. <laughs> so it's sort of like me. I'm just Correct. the fluff and you guys are all the technical know-how. Exactly. Right. But see, isn't that the way to go? It makes your life easier. <laughs> it does. All I have to do is edit the stupid things I say. say <laughs> right, exactly. You edit yourself and then leave all what they say in. That's, that's right. That's what I do. It's an easy that's business what I do model. Every week. <laughs> So, Ralph, keep that in mind when you're editing this today. Just cut me out and leave leave Helena in. And I just have to say one more thing yeah. to Leslie Covington from Texas who came to Newport, yeah. who listens to that Newport show. If any of you, any of my horse friends are thinking about coming to the East Coast for any reason, please, please let me know. It was so much fun to meet up with Leslie and show her around Newport. Um, I would love to do that for more of you guys, especially as polo season is starting. So hit me up if you're going to be in town. That's very cool. That's fun. It is fun to get company. You know, we've been getting a lot more company now with people coming to Florida and yeah. uh, sitting in on the shows and things. And that, it's just neat to have, to, have, uh, to have them come and hang out with you. And it's just a lot of fun. I know yeah. Jamie's had a couple recently. A couple of the auditors have stopped by out in Phoenix. So they've been out there. So that's kind of neat. <clears throat> well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Uh, next week we have, I'm trying to think of what we have for you next week. We're on vacation, so I know we have a show planned. There will be a show next week. I just don't remember what it is because we've been <laughs> putting a lot of them together. So there will be a show here. We'll be, uh, we'll be cruising, actually. We'll, we're going seven nights on the Oasis of the Seas, which is Royal Caribbean. And uh, we're going down to Puerto Rico. We're going to St. Martin. And then we're stopping at Lavadi, which is Royal Caribbean's private island off of Haiti. Oh. Uh, which basically what you do there is the water's crystal blue and you sit on the beach for a day. <clears throat> and I'm gonna, we're going to try really hard to use our suntan lotion so we don't look like our one auditor did. Uh -oh. I don't know if you saw her picture, but oh my God. <laughs> she was lobster-like when she was done. She posted oh, a picture gosh. of her shoulders. She had second-degree burns. I mean, she was burnt. <gasps> So we're going to try hard not to do that while we're on vacation, and then we'll see you all back here in a couple of weeks. But there will be shows. All the shows will come out as normal. We've been pre-recording like crazy and getting them ready. And uh, thank you, Helena, for opening up about your childhood. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for not editing it all out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ralph hasn't done yet, so we'll find out what's still left. <laughs> all right, that's it, Helena. That is plenty, but there will be more next week. Until then, happy scooping.